Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR Try 5 on the AM dial. It's good to have your company again as we defend the rights of government schools. Defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S, hence the Dogs Program. Um, if you've not heard us before, we are interested in ideas of supporting public education, as in schools that are free, that are fair in terms of their enrolment processes, that are universal in their education and that are, that are secular in their purpose. Because we think that if you get all the kids in Australia into schools like that and fund them properly, that's the best chance that we're all going to go ahead into the future as best we can. Don't separate your kids out into public and private. So we've been doing that for decades now. And every week we have a press release when we can from Jane, who's been on the dogs longer than I have. Um, yeah, we have a press release. But today we have another special treat. We'll be talking to Max Wallace, who's the secretary of the New South Wales Rationalist Association, about his ideas um, when it comes to responding to the, I don't know, the Ruddock Report, the report on, the, on, the, on, on religious freedom in Australia, as if that's what we needed. Um, we'll be talking about to, to Max about the Ruddock Report. And then, of course, we'll be finishing up with a bit of good news, as we always try to. We're talking about a great state school. Having trawled the archives for all the VCA results, there's lots of great state schools out there, but we're going to highlight one in Melbourne's East in a little place called Auburn later in the program. But before we do that, it's time for the press release, Jean. Yes, uh, press release 775 at www.adogs.info. Religious men in Australia should be careful what they wish for. Separation of religion from the state in Australia is gone. And this press release is about how a shield can become a sword. Now we know that section of 116 of the Australian Constitution entrenched religious or religious liberty and separation of religion from the state in Australia in 1901, but it was read down in a very narrowly uh, interpretive judgment by the majority judges in the High Court in the Dogs case in 1981. The Murphy dissent, of course, still stands. Religious schools have wanted to have their cake and eat it, and that's what happened in 1981. They wanted state money, but they did not want state control. Never have. But he who pays the piper usually calls the tune. 
and the tune now includes cries of discrimination and the separation of religion from the state is gone. In the Ruddock Report, this is now official. The Ruddock Report says that separation of religion from the state no longer, never did probably exist in Australia for them because of the dogs case. And the funding of private religious schools which is considered constitutional. The Commonwealth Government is now getting involved in, determina- in determination of discrimination in matters of religion. And what the dogs are asking is, are discrimination and vilification laws just another form of blasphemy law with a return to the era of religious and culture wars. For those concerned about the morals of a godly nation, rather than the lessons of history and separation of religion and the state, I should really rephrase that. For those concerned about the morals of a possible godly nation, people like Mr Broad, who've recently left the parliament uh, under a shadow these people are interested in these ideas of imposing morals on a godly nation rather than the lessons of history and the way the separation of religion from the state was hammered out in the enlightenment days it may prove to be so The absolute right to freedom of conscience is now reduced to a mere section of discrimination law in which it will be weighed and often found wanting. Morrison and the religious men in Australia have forgotten their own history and they have politicised religion in this country at a time when the hypocrisy of so many churches and church schools have revealed themselves as shameless in their mendacity. As Christians contemplate the birth of the impoverished Christ in a stable this Christmas, they should be asking, how has this happened? Well, what is the latest nail in the separation coffin? Historically, I could go way, way back into the 19th century and bring you up to the 1981 dogs case. But I want to refer in this press release to the Ruddock report. The full findings of Ruddock, who is a retired former federal minister, uh, he was a minister for immigration, and he was actually quite a... um, a more compassionate one than uh, Mr Dutton, for example. But his report was finally released on Thursday the 13th of December, just over a week ago. But it was seven months after they were presented to the government in May and more than a year after the former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull agreed to establish the review in an attempt to stop the Conservative Coalition MPs from derailing the marriage equality legislation. 
It was assault to the Christian right of the Liberal Party. Originally, the review was the suggestion of Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton, nine months before he unsuccessfully challenged Turnbull for the Liberal leadership. Now, the push by the Conservative Coalition MPs to entrench the Church's right to discriminate on sexuality grounds appears to have backfired, with a long-awaited National Religious Freedom Review recommending that the exemptions for the religious organisations from other discrimination laws, which they already had, that these be wound back or scrapped. In response... Prime Minister Scott Morrison promised what the review expressly recommends against. He's promising a new Religious Freedom Commissioner within the Human Rights Commission. Now, if this isn't along the lines of the state getting involved in religious matters, then please tell me if I'm mistaken. Morrison will also create a new Federal Religious Discrimination Act in line with the review's recommendations to elevate religious discrimination to the same status as other forms of discrimination, protecting the right to adhere to a faith or to have no faith at all. But will this kind of legislation lead to different faiths having a ding-dong in our courts? as to whether or not canon law and Sharia law should be part of our law. This is dangerous territory. The review panel questioned the extent to which religious rights were overriding other human rights across Australia. So this fundamental right to human conscience is just going to be brought down to discrimination law in a hierarchy of discriminations. And this is why the way Morrison sees it. This is the thinking of our Prime Minister. Why in this country should it be illegal for someone to turn someone away because of a disability or their gender or their sexual identity, he says, but it's okay to set to turn someone away because of their religion? I mean, how can we allow that to stand in Australia? That shouldn't be happening here. Well, that's very interesting, Mr Morrison. Perhaps you should ask whether it should be illegal for church schools to be turning children and uh, teachers away because they have the wrong religion. Although the review panel supported strengthening protections against religious discrimination, it questioned the extent to which religious rights were overriding other human rights in Australia. And I quote... The panel could see no justification for exceptions in existing laws relating to race, disability, pregnancy or intersex status. The report says of the current religious anti-discrimination exemptions at the federal, state and territory level that differ across jurisdictions. The panel is of the view that those jurisdictions retaining exceptions should review them having regard to community expectations. The response to the Religious Freedom Review is likely to put politicians under greater pressure in the short term. So is this going to become an election issue? Are we going to be in a religious ding-dong at the federal election? This is all very, very interesting.
And these questions the dogs are asking and they are suggesting that we are in this bind, religious people in Australia who once had the benefit of separation of religion and the state and people who understood like the Baptists and the Seventh-day Adventists and other minority religious groups who understood the benefits of separation of religion from the state. They should be looking very, very carefully at what is now going to happen in the next six months in this area in Australia. Now we'll have a bit of a break and then... Robert will be talking to one of the people in Australia who, who himself and his wife have been looking at these questions like the dogs have been for the last few decades. Robert will be talking to Max Wallace. So we'll have a bit of a break, a bit of music, and then we will go to Robert speaking with Max Wallace. Hi, it's Joe here from Music Matters. Just letting you know that as part of summer programming, I'll be doing a two-part special compilation of artists that have come into 3CR to perform live for Music Matters. Tune in from 12 noon to 2pm on Friday, December 21st and Friday, January 4th. Lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 177th anniversary of the execution of the two Indigenous freedom fighters, Tanaminawe and Morbohina, at the Tanaminawe and Morbohina Monument at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne, at midday on Sunday the 20th of January 2019. Walk with us after the ceremony to the Queen Victoria Markets to their last resting place. Please bring flowers. The first hour of the ceremony will be broadcast live by Community Radio 3CR. If you can't join us for the ceremony, listen in to 3CR midday to 1pm on Sunday the 20th of June.
Well, welcome to the Dogs Program. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest on the program. We have Max Wallace, who's the Secretary of the New South Wales Rattlers Association. Um, we've been talking about the Ruddock Review on and off now for a month or two because whether it's released or whether it's not or released or what's in it or what's not in it and who's upset and who's happy, um, I thought we'd sort of get someone who really knows what they're talking about, um, and which is Max, Max Wallace. Uh, welcome to the Dogs Program, Max. Yes, uh, good morning, Robert, and I hope that's true. Oh, well, uh, we're about to find out, but I'm sure our listeners will definitely enjoy your perspective because you've been a friend of the dogs' programs over the years. Um, so the Ruddock Review, um, what was it? Um, what happened and what's going to happen, I suppose, is the question. Have, have you, have you got, can, you, can you enlighten our listeners? Yeah, look, f- from my point of view, the Ruddock Report was uh, an, est- an attempt at political fix uh, following the failure of the hardcore religious right in the federal parliament especially and various other Christian lobbyists to have gay marriage denied in the referendum in November 2017. Now, what added insult to injury for the religious right was their inability to stop the following legislation which legalised gay marriage. Now, the way I read it, the Ruddock Report was in effect Plan B for these religious conservatives. Um, Mm. It followed their unexpected failure uh, in the referendum so they set up this inquiry uh, to allege how badly religious freedom is treated in Australia and uh, to create laws, uh, in effect by stealth in a way, to discriminate against gays in particular. Mm. Now, in my view, the, what, is all this, what is driving all of this is the unspoken hard-right Christian idea that homosexuality is sin. Now, uh, in other words, homophobia, in my view, is the ultimate driver of all this. They don't want sinful gay people employed in their religious institutions, especially, of course, their schools. Mm. So what they can't cop is the notion that secular law overrides their religious belief. They want to manipulate secular law through discrimination exemptions to endorse their homophobia, and they have succeeded in doing that in state jurisdictions. This is my view. Yeah, um, can, we, can, we, can we just stop you there? Because I'm interested. Um, when you say they have succeeded in that, what you're saying, um, and it's my understanding actually, so this is a kind of a Dorothy Dixer question, but it's my understanding that these exemptions from anti-discrimination law have existed, like they have existed for some time. Um, yes, that's right. So, so we're, we're talking about something that's not, not giving them something they don't have. We're talking about maintaining something that they have possessed for a... A long time. Maintaining and, and, and where possible, extending it. There, yeah. there have been numerous examples of uh, gay teachers in religious schools who are quite okay to teach in those schools until they can find uh, a religious person, say in mathematics or something, that uh, can take that person's place, uh, the secular, guy, secular gay guy's place, and then they just uh, sack him. Yeah. And then they replace him. And... Uh, they're free to do what they like, and uh, so it's not a good situation. Um, but there's another point here. It's a giant act of grandstanding. Um, the most important freedom that religious organisations in Australia have is the freedom to avoid paying tax. Mm-hmm. Now, that never gets a mention. And uh, they're all multi-billionaires, and they're complaining about how badly they've got it. Uh, it has to be seen in this broader context. And they're billionaires because they're supported by Australian taxpayers. And, of course, as we said ad infinitum, um, their schools are mostly funded by the public taxpayer. And here they are. They want to take 
taxpayers' money and they want to be free at the same time to discriminate uh, against religious, uh, non-religious people. So mm. they want it always, uh, at all times. And uh, so it's, it's not... Uh, the, the only sort of silver lining in this that I can see is that it's very unlikely to get through the Parliament um, before the next election and... The burning question in the future will be, well, what, are, what is the Labor Party going to do about this? Yeah, um, well, I mean, from from our point of view, watching how this has been played out, the Labor Party are no particular friend to, to, to rational... People have a rational approach to this question. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think, that's right. I think they probably realize, oh, well, you know, whatever, yeah, just over there, nothing to do with us. Yes, well, uh, you see... There was never really any problem with religious freedom in Australia. The whole thing is ridiculous. Uh, the first point here is that um, the Ruddock report couldn't find anything of significance about a lack of religious freedom in Australia. Uh, the second point is that the Law Council of Australia, which is a very conservative body, yes. doesn't agree with a, religi- uh, a proposed religious freedom act. Um, the third point is that the U.S. State Department, they do annual reports of all countries concerning freedom, freedom of religion, and they report back to their federal government. There has never been a major issue concerning Australia since the U.S. State Department has been investigating these matters. And uh, the fourth point is that Australia is a signatory to the 1947 International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and that protects religious freedom, and that's from way back. So there's never really been a, an issue. This, this is all a terrible beat-up. Okay, so that so you've sort of given an, over, an overview in terms of of what what has happened, um, and then there's this review that's come out. Now, what actually is the status of the Ruddock review? Has it been released yet? Oh yeah, it's been released, and uh, of course it was released released just be you know here we are just before Christmas mm. uh, with a package of other things as well. Um, there's, I guess. Uh, the Prime Minister recognises there's a certain amount of downside with this and he's going to cop a lot of flack over it. So it's better to release it at a time when the media are less switched uh, switched on mm. and when people are distracted and uh, a classic political exercise. Uh, so um, just uh, as to the future, you know, if, uh, if by some crazy turn of events there was a Religious Freedom Act passed in Australia... Well, the consequences could be quite serious because a lot of religious people would start uh, saying, well, they want, uh, they'd start trying to raise the ante. <laughs> they want more and more privileges, you see. And of course, the big danger in all of this is that uh, um, the, the Islamic community in Australia could start insisting on having Sharia law in Australia. And, uh, um, yes, well, I mean, I'm going to ask you a few questions about that, if you don't mind. Firstly, before we get to the questions of either canon or Sharia or any other religious law um, having status um, in the Australian polity, which at the moment I don't think it technically does, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Well, perhaps canon law does because that relates to a, a foreign country, doesn't it? Well, I, I, I think the internal canon law of, uh, say, the Anglican and Catholic churches in Australia, uh, and I've, I've seen some information about this in New Zealand as well, hmm. uh, they, they, of course, they can make all their own internal decisions um, on internal matters. Can, um, it's uh, the tricky bit is when uh, 
they uh, they they come they, their their laws clash with secular laws, and there's mm. some particular kind of an issue. There was a case in uh, New Zealand some years ago where um, a uh, a husband divorced his wife, and uh, he went for first through canon law to do this and got the approval of the church, and she tried to find out, well, what were the reasons for this? And, and they wouldn't tell her. <laughs> and uh, so eventually this wound up in a secular court, and uh, I think she got some satisfaction there, but I think it was all settled out of court, you see. Yeah. And um, so uh, there is this uh, meaningful interface between canon law and secular law on occasion, but uh, not very often. Oh, no, I was probably more talking in terms of um, there's just been a Royal Commission into institutional approaches to childhood sexual abuse, and um, my understanding was that the Royal Commission wanted to get hold of some documents, um, and those documents within the religious institution were actually in a foreign country, which, which was the oh. Vatican City, and so they said, no, no, you can't look at those. Oh, yeah. And so the request was refused um, on the grounds of, well, canon law, but on, on grounds of international law, which was all seen to be the same thing at the same time. Yes, uh, well, that's a question for experts, and I, I wouldn't have the, uh, the knowledge to, to uh, respond to that. Well, I suppose I bring it up because if there is um, Australian legislation that um, protects religious freedom, it would probably be, by implication, be protecting religious laws. Mm, could be, yes, that's a point that's well made. And uh, so hopefully that uh, ghastly turn of events uh, won't happen, and I think there'll be quite a public backlash before... Uh, I don't think they get the numbers in the, in the Senate uh, the way that uh, the, the next election is shaping up. Mm. So just in, in terms of what it is that... I mean, I'd like to bring back to the concept of, of religious freedom in schools and the use of taxpayers' money. Um, so what you're saying is that... Well, I can tell you that currently in Australia that... Um, uh, a religious institution can, in, that, that runs a school can, you know, sack any teacher on the grounds of, or pretty much anything they feel like, but they just have to say that the, that the person working for them, um, or the person wishing to enrol in their institution does not, um, does not fulfil the ethos of the school. Um, and that can be very broadly defined in either religious or even secular terms. Um, now, is there any sense that this legislation will be extending those powers, or, or, or is it just to maintain them? Well, I think uh, uh, the whole point of it was to, to extend them. And uh, now, uh, again, this is another legal question that uh, would require legal research to tease out the finer points. Uh, but they're not doing this for no reason, you know. They're not doing it just to... Uh, safeguard what they've already got. I think they want to extend it, and uh, uh, I guess their, their um, proactive uh, actions uh, for their own interests can't be underestimated. They uh, they're always pushing the envelope to uh, to increase their privileges, whatever, however they can. But just exactly how they're doing that, I'm not sure. Mm. Um. To sort of broaden the context perhaps to, a, to different countries and an international sort of perspective, are there any other countries on the planet at the moment <laughs> uh, that deal with the question of religious freedom and education in the way that Australia does? I mean, what I'm saying is that we, the taxpayer, fund, um, or fund 
the education systems of all the major religions that have schools in Australia, um, pretty much dollar for dollar when it comes to um, in comparison to state schools, but at the same time allow these these discriminations, which functionally means that the schools can can refuse enrolment on any grounds that they like. Um, are there any other places around the world that do what Australia does in terms of having this? What's, oh, yeah, that that uh, question has been ventilated in the media recently, and I think the point has been made that uh, we're pretty unique in this respect, uh, and. Uh, throwing money at religious schools. Um, I have to say uh, the British are doing their very best uh, to uh, throw as much money at, at uh, faith schools as they possibly can. So I think the Brits are uh, uh, competing with Australia in in doing this. Mm. <laughs> but I was interested to read, oh, I think it was in the September issue of Quadrant, um, Cardinal George Pell had an article where he recognised that uh, 90% of uh, American students uh, attend public schools. Mm. And they fully realise that uh, in, a, in a secular state, such as the United States, <laughs> pardon me, which is protected by a, a constitution and the First Amendment and the Supreme Court's interpretation of that First Amendment, which uh, has, it has been decided that... Uh, the federal government cannot fund religious schools. They know all about that, of course, and that's the, the very thing they, they seek to deny into the future in Australia. Yeah, yeah sort of different strokes of different facts. I'll, I'll probably point out um, for our listeners' sake, in, in the context of English schools and religious schools, they are, um, it's extraordinary, attempting to fund more and more religious schools, but religious schools in the United Kingdom... Um, have many more barriers to refusing students. You know, if someone lives in the catchment area of a religious school and that religious school accepts taxpayers' money, then the child goes to the school. The, the mm. school has many fewer rights about refusing the enrolment of that child um, than they do here in Australia. Um, mm. Oh, yes, I, <clears throat> I could believe that. And uh, also the situation in, in the Republic of Ireland is quite fascinating where the, the Irish government, uh, which now has a, a gay prime minister... Uh, are looking at the question of winding back uh, the Catholic Church's total control of the education system mm. in Ireland. And uh, I think it's a long road to halt, to ho, uh, but uh, at least they've made a start on it. As opposed to Australia, where this question of, of the Ruddock Review's implications seems to be wanting to take it in a very different direction. Oh, yes, that's right. That's like I was saying before, that uh, um, uh, the... Christian lobby activists, they've got their plan. Uh, they've got their people in the parliament who are ideologues, full-on ideologues, and um, and that's where this whole issue of the Ruddock Report came from. Um, like I said right at the start of this interview, it's, uh, they were incensed when their referendum scheme fell over and they had eagle over their face, and then the gay marriage legislation just made it worse for them, and so they, mm. they turned to the Ruddock Report and to try and um, enhance their privileges and to, to wind back uh, uh, what had happened with the referendum and the uh, gay marriage legislation. Yeah, I don't know if you've been um, following what's been going on down here south of the border in Mexico, but um, I'd be interested in your comments perhaps on what's happened in our, in our state election down here. Um, there was yeah. an election in which one of the major parties 
decided that crime and punishment was an election issue, and they also decided that the safe schools um, and various other semi, semi-religious moral questions were that which was of most concern to the electorate. Uh, and that in, in Victoria was the Liberal Party. Um, so they were, you know, um, quite famously and, and well-knownly, that party's been taken over by a large number of, to use your words and my words too, ideologues, um, sort of conservative and sometimes very um, openly religious ideologues. And that political party here in Victoria did extremely poorly, um, much to the surprise of many people involved in the, in the election process. Do you think that the failure of the religious right in the Victorian state election is going to have implications going forward with the, with the sort of the way the Ruddock Review's findings are going to be dealt with? Well, we leave it hope, Robert. Uh, the, uh, um, the Victorian government has been probably the most progressive government, and, uh, and uh, now that uh, the, uh, the Labor government uh, has got a majority in the Legislative Council uh, with the help of uh, independents and Fiona Patton, of course. Yes, uh, who was then, eventually um, re-elected. Yeah, 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 to my surprise. Yeah. To my hers surprise. as well, I think. And uh, <clears throat> the, uh, 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 certainly any progressive legislation, any more progressive legislation that uh, Victorians can come up with is, stands a good chance and will be certainly mud in the eye of... Uh, of what uh, they're trying, what the Conservative government in Australia is trying to do at a federal level. Mm. So um, one can only hope that um, what's going on in Victoria is contagious. And of course, here in New South Wales, the uh, uh, decriminalisation of abortion is coming up for um, review and uh, That's discussion in the Parliament. Sorry, I, I, you know, as a, a person of my generation, I, I find that whole discussion extraordinary. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. Well, uh, uh, New South Wales has been the holdout state with decriminalisation of abortion, which uh, has just been, to my knowledge, agreed to in Queensland, of all places. And uh, so the, uh, that there's always been a, um, uh, a stranglehold of the Catholic Church, uh, particularly in the Legislative Council of the New South Wales Parliament. And uh, uh, one of uh, the Labor... C- um, Catholic people said facetiously one year, referring to secular uh, politicians, that uh, when they have these meetings, uh, they meet in a phone booth, uh, because the rest of the parliament is just so pro, pro-religious and pro-Catholic. Mm. And um, so that that history, if you like, is is uh, it's still uh, present in um, the New South Wales Parliament. Uh, the uh, uh, voluntary euthanasia. Uh, fails to succeed every time it comes up, maybe by one or two votes, but it fails to succeed every time. And the Conservatives never give any reason for why they're doing it. But we know that it's um, their pre-selection uh, has been threatened um, if they don't vote according to what the Church wants. Mm. So, um, well, thanks. Like, I'm sure our listeners have really appreciated your, your enlightening words. Um, there are a couple of issues I would like to discuss, perhaps a little, in a little more detail, but I think we'll give our listeners a break and we'll, and we'll have a bit of music.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on AM Dial. We just had a break because we've been talking to Max Wallace, who's the Secretary of the New South Wales Rationalist Society up there, um, and he's been very enlightening to our listeners and to me personally about what's going on with this separation of religion and state and the Ruddock Report. Now, Jean's been in the background championing the bit. She wants to have a chat with Max as well. So, Max, um, Jean, but let, let's, let's hear what you have to say to each other. Oh, hello, Max. How are you? Great to yes, talk to you. Good morning, Jean. Yes. I was thinking of Meg when I was reading the Ruddock Report and how they were going on and on and on about these international um, uh, freedoms that we now have and how Meg had worked out that at the UN and elsewhere, religious freedom is often in the hands of committees that are dominated by Saudis and so on. So, yes, that's right. Uh, and the only reason you're talking to me about this is, of course, that Meg has a serious hearing problem, and yes. her book, uh, Freedom from Religion, Rethinking Article 18, details all of this uh, uh, very well, and it's available on Amazon. Yes, a wonderful, wonderful book, um, and um, we're very, very lucky that she, she did her PhD and wrote it, so please give our love to Meg. But sure. my take on all of on all of it. When I got to, they, they, they discuss the international law and they talk about Syracuse principles. Um, and then they got to the domestic situation and uh, they just announced that there is no separation of church and state in Australia. So it's official. Pell well, and others, when it suits that. them, keep saying there is separation of church and state. Ruddock says there is no separation of church and state because in the dog's case, the High Court gave a narrow interpretation of what is a very basic religious life. Right. So on my, on my, um, feeling of history and politics, I suppose, I think that the religious people um, have bitten off more than they can chew and what was once a shield has become a sword for them because now we're going to have religious legislation, legislation about religion, which I think yeah. the Constitution um, prohibits. Well, my response to that is, Jean, bring it on because uh, if they want to do that, we've been to the High Court twice before. Yes. We can get the money together and we've got competent people and uh, uh, we would certainly like to have the High Court consider this question. Think about that, uh, whether there is or there is not a constitutional separation of church and state in Australia. And uh, that's what we tried to do uh, back in 2010. And uh, we received legal advice that, no, you couldn't go down that path because, uh, as you well know, Sir Garfield Barwick, a had so narrowly interpreted the establishment clause of Section 116 that it just wasn't even possible to bring a case. So we, we tried the fourth leg uh, about concerning a religious test for public office in Australia, and, uh, and even though the Commonwealth Government were providing all the dollars for religious chaplains in public schools, because they were technically employing uh, the religious chaplains, uh, the court decided in its wisdom, seven to nil, that no, it wasn't unconstitutional. But uh, that's wimps. the paradoxes of the law. As far as I'm concerned, they're a bunch of wimps. But um, you won on a technical, a technical uh, point, oh, which yes, was very right. interesting. They were, they actually were prepared to to bite that bullet, but. Um, uh, 
the legislation can override it, I suppose, on technical matters. But a constitutional uh, guarantee is something different. And the one thing the Dogs case did succeed in doing was having the High Court say that this was a prohibitive clause, mm. that it has a, it is a prohibition. Um, and as I read it, it's a prohibition against the Commonwealth uh, having anything to do with religion. Yes, that's, um, that's the and now we are looking at Morrison talking about making legislation which deals with religion. And we have our religious people who, when it was not narrowly interpreted, had religious freedom as a right, as an absolute right, uh, like in the First Amendment. We now have them in this morass of discrimination legislation where they... Um, they are just part of a hierarchy of discriminations. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's and the LGBTPI, whatever, sorry, the LGBTI people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they now have uh, the power in many ways, certainly a lot of the majority of Australians are behind them, to say, no, our discrimination is higher than yours. So that's where this very basic, right to conscience, freedom of conscience, is that it's been brought down to this level. I think the religious people are very foolish. Yes, well, uh, it's certainly the case that Australia is, is not a secular state. And uh, while that comment is often made, uh, the uh, as we've discussed before, in the state constitutions there's no section separating government and religion. And, of course, in the dog's case... Uh, Two of the High Court judges came out and said there's no separation of church and state. Section 116 doesn't mean separation of church and, and state, and, and right. the Chief Justice endorsed that. Um, this has been understated for decades and never been discussed um, uh, properly. Uh, but uh, I, I, I say that uh, Australia is a soft theocracy, and uh, mm. uh, my talk uh, at the Humanist Convention in 2017 where I spell out this argument is available on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. And uh, and that, that in effect is uh, true of um, most what we call liberal democracies are really soft theocracies because uh, religion is so structured uh, into government at uh, the legislative level, uh, the financial level through all the tax exemptions and privileges they get and then all at the symbolic level as well, where parliaments are often opened by prayers and um, uh, there's um, religious national anthems, religious flags, religious public holidays. Uh, religion is structurally integrated uh, into a lot of states, especially Australia. Well, I would add in the context of what you just said in terms of Australia, um, rather than just, just taxation exemptions... Um, in terms of the education system of the country, direct federal funding. Um, oh, churches yes, right. do not actually pay for church schools in Australia. They haven't since the turn of the century. Um, they didn't ever pay very much since the 1960s. But since the turn of the century, religion does not pay for religious education. Oh, yes. Ross Gittins had a go at this uh, some couple of few years ago, yeah. and um, I think they pay three percent, ninety-seven percent cost of cost of doing business. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's paying the accountant. It, it's not. It's not yeah, paying for right. the service. Yeah. Um, oh no! Look, I, like Ross Gittins did, and, and but this has been true now 
for so long that I, I'll just add that to a particularly unique aspect of what you would call soft theocracy in Australia. The danger is that it will become something more than, than uh, soft theocracy, though, because, unfortunately, some Christian people, as you have in the United States, are going back into a New Testa- an Old Testament idea of a godly nation and imposing their morals on the rest of the community. And it's, I can't see the difference between this and Sharia law. And we can see what this does in other countries around the world. I think this is the great danger. We don't want to go back pre-enlightenment times to the wars of religion. Yes, that's right. We just don't want it. uh, What gives strength to their arm is the fact that uh, for hundreds of years they've been exempt from taxation and they've been able to amass enormous amounts of wealth, Mm -hmm. particularly, of course, in the United States, but here also. And it's that wealth that that can... um, enables them to um, devise schemes and plans and strategies to, uh, in effect, to undermine the secular state. And uh, they do indeed want to make sure that they they control as much as possible uh, the direction of, of the federal and state governments and, uh, and keep their privileges. And, uh, and they do this in the face of the fact that in the census, fewer and fewer people are affiliated affiliating to religion and fewer and fewer people that are practicing religion but that is water off a duck's back to them because they're getting richer all the time uh, as their investments increase and Mm. they they can just spend their money in ways that Mm. they find useful to progress their cause yes well as the dogs have always said that situation state aid to religion is bad for religion and it's even worse for the state um, and that's the position we're in. And um, the, to me, this whole Ruddock report and talking about having a religious commissioner and um, legislation dealing with religion is a symptom of a much sick, a much, um, much bigger disease. Look, it's been marvellous talking to you. <laughs> I don't know that things are going to change in the near future, and this is, of course, a perennial problem that we're trying to deal with in our generation, isn't mm. it, Max? Yes. Well, thank you, Max. Um, I hope you don't mind. We might give you a call sometime in the new year when things have progressed. Um, For sure. And I, 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 would, I would be very hopeful that what you say, that, that this won't progress, is true, but um, I'm a little bit more cynical. I think we might be talking about some, some ridiculous amounts of legislation coming through on this very question in, oh, in well, 2019. Mate, we're waiting in the wings. We're waiting in the way. Nothing surprises me, Morrison. (laughs) Bring it on, bring it on, (laughs) says says Max. It's it's wonderful to hear your views on this. And um, from the Dogs program, we wish you a happy holiday season or Christmas, whichever way you want to talk about it. Uh, Well, season's greetings to to you and all Victorians as well from the north of the border. Oh, thanks very much, Wax. And also to Meg. Give her a hug from us. That's true. Thank you very much. Thanks, Max. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Yes, our great state school of the week this week. Well, it's Alban. 
it's in um, it's the old Hawthorne High School which they closed down because um, it wasn't doing so good, and then they reopened it and called it Auburn. And now it's doing some amazing things. It's absolutely, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of hilarious. Um, Auburn High School is in the middle of what I call the Near East, which is the bit of Melbourne where all the rich private schools are. Auburn High School, you, if, you, if you kicked a footy, it would land in the grounds of Scots College. Um, that's how close it is to the sort of height of privilege and power in Melbourne. But Auburn High School, it's, a, it's, a, it's just there. It wasn't doing so good, but it's just there in the middle of the east. And, of course, parents who send their children to Auburn High School would be, would be looked down upon by their neighbours, I'm sure. And that was the case. But um, thanks to Maria, um, Maria Cavuni, who is the principal there, She's done some very interesting things. I, I think it's kind of hilarious. But the reason I'm talking about it as a great state school is that around this time we had this massive moral panic about kids and their VCE results. Well, Auburn High School has what's called, is now joined what's called the 30 Club, which is with a median score above 30. So that is the classic measure, if you're going to use numbers, of what a good school is. So there's no argument that Auburn High School and their VCE results is a good school. It's in Hawthorne East. So, it, you know, it's not necessarily struggle town, but it definitely wasn't an academic school when Maria turned up. It just had 32 students enrolling in Year 7 at the time that she arrived, which is about five years ago. Now, she was going to get the school up to the magic 30 number by 2019. She's achieved it a year earlier. And how has she done it? Well, it's an interesting story. Um, first thing, she's got a bit of extra money. Um, she's... She educates the kids. You know, when I say the average takes about thirteen to $15,000 to educate a kid um, in Australia, well, they spend $17,000 per kid in Hawthorne East. That's because the, um, the socioeconomic makeup is above the average in terms of Australia, but it's not um, anywhere near as posh as the schools next door at Scotch College. Um, 15% of the kids come from the bottom quartile of kids. 16% come from the bottom middle. 44% come from the top. So it's a, it's above the average year value, but it's not so far above as to be obscene. But Auburn High School, as I say, is surrounded by the top VC performers in the state. There's Billiac College and there's Scots College, kick a footy. And so it was difficult to match the shiny facilities of the neighbouring schools because it's just a state school. But the principal did her best. She got there, She first thing she did, she got out, got dressed up and painted the walls. She went out and did the gardens in the schoolyard. She got new furniture and threw out the old stained yellowed curtains that made the staff room look like a smoking lounge and spruced that up as well. She also said, right, if we're going to be here, we're going to have a school uniform. She overhauled the school uniform with all students required to wear red blazers with the school logo emblazoned on the front. Be proud of where you're from, she said. She also set up a bilingual French program, introduced an extensive range of extracurricular activity, including robotics, coding, debating, and these were all rolled out. And just like the nearby private schools, the state school started handing out badges to students who excelled at philanthropy, excelled at public speaking, at STEM subjects, sport, and um, this was very strategic on her behalf. So I've got all these people wandering around valuing these things in the community around me. I am at the heart of heart of privilege here in Melbourne, so I'm going to imitate these things because that's what's going to work for me. She said, I know this community, she said. I want them to see that they can get the same opportunities that you get at Scots College in a government school. And this transformation certainly affected and attracted parents. Next year, 120 kids are going to be enrolling in Year 7 at Auburn High. Now, a year 12 student there, 
Ms. Pellis said that she started in Year 7 and then the Hawthorne Secondary College. And everyone said, well, what are you going there for? And she said, when I started, it didn't have a very good reputation. It was the state school surrounded by all these wealthy schools. What I had heard coming into the school was not positive. But, she says, I'm off to Monash University next year. And the perceptions of my school have dramatically changed over the past five years. Now, everyone doesn't say, oh, what are you going there for? They say, how are the teachers? What are they like? How much have they improved? What's going on? And we are now definitely a high-achieving school. So I think this is fascinating. So if you're out there in Hawthorne and you're sending your kid to Scots College, you're wasting 40000 a year straight off the top because there's a perfectly good state school just around the corner, Auburn High. So I have to say, our great state school for this week, just for this week, um, comes from Hawthorne East. Congratulations to Auburn High. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great deal. relationships with each other, with the teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Well, that's the end of the Dogs Program. If you want to contact us or find out about us, you can get us at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, and the last show for the year next week, um, until next week, it's bye for now.
horses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. On to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find.